Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern War Institute podcast. I'm John Amble, Editorial Director at MWI. On this episode, Captain Jake Moraldi is back and sits down for a discussion with Colonel Jonathan Newman. Colonel Newman has served for the past three years as the Director of West Point's Department of Military Instruction. Prior to that, he commanded the 198th Infantry Brigade, the unit responsible for training nearly 20,000 new infantrymen and mortarmen per year. In both of these jobs, he's played a central role in guiding the way the Army trains its soldiers and leaders to operate and thrive in the current operating environment. In this episode of the podcast, Colonel Newman shares his thoughts on what principles should guide the Army's training, particularly as our nation's missions have required a balance between training on traditional core competencies and preparing to conduct other missions like stability operations and counterinsurgency. Before we turn to Captain Moraldi's conversation with Colonel Newman, a couple notes. Remember to follow MWI on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn to stay connected and hear about new podcast episodes, articles, research, and events. And, as always, what you hear in this podcast are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of any agency of the U.S. government. All right, enjoy the podcast. Colonel Newman, sir, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to us. Um, I think it'll be a really interesting conversation about how you bring soldiers into the Army and how you sort of prioritize the, the things that they're learning and, and what they're, they're training as they enter uh, their service. To start out with, we'll, we'll kind of go with a big picture question and then kind of neck down from there. I'm curious what it means to you as someone who's been in the Army for quite some time, what it means to be in the armed forces and then how you think we need to prepare soldiers and leaders to, to accomplish that, that vision. Okay. Well, uh, I think... Uh, to, to be in the armed force today is to answer our nation's calling. And I think uh, that sounds a little uh, like it's some kind of recruiting slogan or something right now, but it really is. We've been in this phase of persistent conflict really since 9-11. I think we, were, we didn't realize it, but we were in conflict uh, much before that with this uh, particular adversary. But uh, since the September attacks of 2001, our army has borne the brunt of our nation's war fighting. It's just the nature of our adversary means that this is a ground fight. And so the Army, and to a, a pretty big extent, the Marine Corps, have done the heavy lifting for our nation. That's not trying to brag about it. That's just the nature of the business and what we've had to do. So I think our Army, in response to those needs, has gone through a long process. We expanded big time in the the mid-2000s, meaning in 2006, 7, 8, 9 time frame, we brought more brigades on. We reorganized our army, really broke out of the division construct, which we had been forever, to try to make us more of a modular formation and more flexible. Some of that was put in place and in the steps uh, moving forward prior to 9-11, but I think the forcing function was then this need to continue to recock brigades and deploy as brigade formations and to continually send brigades into the fight, both in uh, first in Afghanistan and then in Iraq, which then took the brunt of our forces for a long time. And now here we are 15 plus years and we're still doing it. We're still uh, growing and shrinking and based on the political uh, winds of our nation and things. And now we're still in that process that so you know, the Army is such a key part of our armed forces. It's not the sexy kind of thing, and we're having a hard time uh, modernizing and those kind of things because the constant need for combat-ready forces for this certain fight. So in terms of the, the global and constant need for, 
for the Army in particular, you have been in, in your last couple jobs here at West Point as the Director of the Department of Military Instruction, uh, and prior to that as the Brigade Commander for the uh, 198th Training Brigade down in Fort Benning, involved in preparing both soldiers and future officers to go out into the force and, and do that global perpetual mission. Um, and I'm curious what some of your insights have been through the course of both the, the job here at West Point and down at Fort Benning uh, about how you prepare soldiers and leaders to go handle that operating environment that they're going to be in. Sure. Well, I think uh, the one thing that, that we've all seen with the Army right now is we have a ton of experience. But the experience is at probably the mid-grade officer level and about our mid-grade NCO level. Our most senior leaders have a ton of experience as well, but they're, they're working operational and strategic level problems. But for our tactical army, as we recock formations and reset formations and keep our force ready to go, it's those mid-level leaders really that, that bear the brunt of the responsibility of that, while at the same time we're bringing in all sorts of new folks, both uh, young enlisted and young officers, who don't have that kind of experience. So we end up with a gap that we've got to really be careful that we're, we're not uh, growing an army that's different in its experience or learning the wrong things based on the experience of some of our leaders. And it's not through somebody's malice or trying to teach the wrong thing, it's just based on the experience that, that those leaders had in combat, maybe different than the next mission set or the mission set that they've been assigned and they don't quite realize it, those kind of things. A lot of us grew up uh, here in the past uh, 15 years looking at counterinsurgency. Not every formation now needs to be ready to fight a counterinsurgency. Mm -hmm. So that's one example. So I think uh, the key thing and what probably needs to keep, you know, keep zeroing the Army in on and focusing everybody back in the center is our, our core competencies. And that's what we need to train our youngest leaders, both NCOs and officers on, and our youngest soldiers, we need to train them on the very basics to do those kinds of missions. And I think that's an area right now where we need to make sure that we're growing leaders. Some of the things that we didn't have our junior officers, for example, didn't have to do for a lot of years was maintenance, administration of formations and units, mm -hmm. command supply discipline. A lot of those things, whether it was contracted maintenance or the way we did uh, you know, readiness and rotations of getting a unit ready and through automatic training deployments and things to set to reset and recock them for deployment, some of those things were so automatic that they were gonna go to a training center and they were gonna get all the resources that we kind of lost the skills to train our own formations. Right. And that's something that we have to be careful. And for the youngest soldiers, we got so fired up about making sure that people could handle engagements with uh, foreign leaders or handle things uh, in non-lethal environments mm -hmm. that at times, I think at the expense of some of our lethal capabilities, specifically in things like artillery, uh, mechanized or armored formations. We had you know young uh, tankers who had never fired tank gunnery, for example, and now they're non-commissioned officers. Now, I'm not a tanker, so I'm speaking a little bit out of my lane, but that has been a problem. Same with our artillery. We, we allowed, or through necessity, some of our artillery, so both, both officers and enlisted, got away from their core competency. So it's just been a challenge to make sure that our Army kind of gets itself back straight with the core competencies. Not that we're not going to have to do sustainment operations or stability operations that will need other skills, but I think the best soldier for a stability operation is somebody who already understands how to shoot, move, and communicate and do his or her battlefield task or execute their, their MOS, if you will, 
in a, the most lethal environment. If you can do that and do those basics, then you can build off of because those are the skills that if you miss those skills, you're going to get people killed. So we all, all of us leaders have to remind ourselves that our first responsibility is to protect our force as we get ready to, to do whatever our nation's mission is. And the best way to have them protected and ready is to train them at the highest level to do the most lethal of our tasks. And then we can add on the other training as we need it based on our mission set. Sometimes we get focused on that directed mission up front and it might be something different than our core competency. Mm -hmm. We just need to be careful that we train to our core competency first. So it's a, it's a degree of ensuring that our soldiers and leaders are, are able to handle sort of the basics, the blocking and tackling, for lack of a better term, of individual soldier skills and basic tactics, sort of, sort of um, kinetic tactics, uh, as well as being able to execute in an, in an expeditionary sort of way, being able to, to maintain yourself and, and retain the fighting capability of your force uh, independent of, of other actors. Is that generally the, the construct you're talking about in terms of core competencies? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. For, for, the, for the youngest soldier and the small, small individual and small units, it's the basics, shoot, move, and communicate. For then squads, platoons, companies, uh, up through battalion, it's their ability to execute, you know, combine arms maneuver and tie the different weapon systems in and tie uh, all the, the, you know, the battlefield effects that, that they're going to need, all the warfighting functions, so that they're ready to execute the, whatever mission it is. But the first thing we got to make sure is that they can do their, the most lethal of their possible mission sets because those are things, you know, that one, it takes the longest to train that, and two, if you don't have it, you can't figure that out on the fly you've got to you've got to have the basics in in those competencies to do and i've seen that you mentioned my last assignment in the 198th brigade at fort benning where we were doing initial entry training mm -hmm. and the key thing there was to ground brand new infantrymen about twenty thousand a year that we were turning out in the very basics of their tasks so that when they got to their unit and were ready they that they were then ready to execute collective training we, tell, we train them at the individual level and the very small units. We, you know, a, a field training exercise at the end of infantry OSIT is a very basic exercise where they're operating at the squad level for the most part, sometimes in the platoon construct. But the goal there is to have them competent at their individual skills so that we get to their unit, they're ready to execute collective training under the, under the supervision of their, their team leader and squad leader and our, our great non-commissioned officers out there. Same too here, as I saw the mission when I became uh, the director of military instruction here, is that we want to make sure our cadets gain the, the basic soldier skills that they need to be junior officers, and then that's tied to the leader development that West Point produces uh, these great young leaders so that they understand and they're competent soldiers as they are competent leaders so that when they get to their, their officer courses, they're ready to take a leadership role and hone those skills. And then when they get to the units, they're ready to, to execute those tasks right away so that they can, they can learn in, the, uh, in their BOLIC or in their functional training, get to their unit and be confident in their ability to, to go lead soldiers in whatever mission they're assigned. So I think, I think there's two questions that, that come out of that. And, and the first one that I'd like to hit is, is talking about how you tailor all the requirements. Again, we talked about hitting core military competencies and especially in an in, in, in initial entry training or an OSIT environment or here at West Point, there are discrete tasks, like very specific things that need to be trained. Um, is there room to, to augment those or, or is there even time and resources to augment those with 
some of the other competencies or, or are we stressed to the point in terms of resources and time to get soldiers into the force that it has to be just the base core competencies? Um, and do we get them to a level of proficiency at those competencies that we could potentially branch out from there sure. once they get to their unit? I don't think it just has to be the core competencies, but that definitely has to be the bedrock that you start with. And you mentioned, you know, our most precious resource in training is time. And that's uh, for any young leader, you want to build, you know, their competencies up through repetition, multiple opportunities for some of the execute some of the same uh, battle drills or the, the small missions that they're going to execute. So a leader has to be really uh, innovative, I think, in how you find that time, make the time or use the time you've got. And to get repetition, sometimes you're going to do, you know, the first repetition might be in simulation. And then the second repetition might be in, uh, you know, a two tactical exercise without troops, where all you have on the ground are the leaders executing what their leader responsibilities are before you ever take, you know, the whole unit to the field. And some of those things that I mentioned, you can do those while your unit's in some other cycle in a, you know, in a support cycle or something where, right. you know, you're, or all your soldiers aren't available because they're training at the individual level, for example, yep. or something. So you've got to just look at this, you know, what time is available, obviously, and then figure out how to make the most of that, be inventive to use, use your time. And then as you, as you get those repetitions, that's where you change the conditions mm -hmm. of the training. You know, we don't really change the task or the standard, but in that, when we talk about task and standard, you keep ramping up the conditions, and then you can add on more things that you need the leaders to be flexible with, whether it's, you know, indigenous forces on the battlefield or civilians they have to deal with, or a more complex situation, or mm -hmm. even as simple as now you have to execute that task at night or under, you know, NBC conditions or something. If you keep doing that, then you'll get to the level of proficiency for whatever it is mission that is the end state. The challenge, of course, is you've got to really balance that with when your leaders rotate and when, you know, when is the unit available for training. All those things we have to do across the Army, it's just, it's just hard to do. So the other question I had, you highlighted both that the, the officer side and the enlisted side as they're coming to the Army need to have those base competencies and, and those core individual soldier skills. I'm curious if you see any major differences in the way that we do or we need to train enlisted soldiers versus the officers, say, here at West Point. Um, if that initial introduction to the military and to the Army uh, and its skills more generally uh, is different in those two populations. I would say uh, it is definitely different just based on what the expectations of that finished product when you complete the initial entry training phase and head them off to their unit for you know their unit training what the expectations are however it's real it is really the same process it's training on the basics then training on you know the small collective tasks that we can do to build them up to then execute your unit's mission and that's really when you know whatever the unit's mission is whether it's a directed mission for some specific area of responsibility they're going to or whether it's it's a standard mission set their unit has that's going to drive you to how you need to train those folks but if you if you build your training the way you want it so that you can get you can tie i guess what your young soldiers when they arrive at your unit and how they're ready and the other piece of that is i think we we miss a step in there that we don't prepare our non-commissioned officers mm -hmm. well to recognize i guess first you want the non-commissioned officers 
filled in enough to know that's what's coming down the pipe you know what's what's next in the training rotation what are the next you know the end states that the commander or the officers want so that the ncos can best train the individual skills to do that you know in our army we used to talk about sergeant's time but most of the time we didn't resource our sergeants with what tasks did we want them to train we left up them to choose the tasks instead of saying hey here's the collective training that's coming up here's the end state that we've got to get this formation Here's, you know, here's all the individual tasks that support that. Now I need you to go train these young soldiers. And they will, whether it's whether we set aside time in something as formal as the old sergeant's time model, mm-hmm. or we just say, here's the time period available to you, and here's where you're going to have to squeak out time, or as uh, something that we're doing concurrently, I need you working, you know, it's really it's the multi-echelon model that we want, you know, officer, we train officers on. The NCO piece of that is to make sure they understand the individual tasks that they've got to either train or in a lot of cases it's just retrain, recertify, so that our young enlisted soldiers are ready when the collective opportunity comes along. You know, an easy example would be, you know, chemical training or NBC training. That's something that we haven't done a lot of in our army during our counterinsurgency uh, operations recently, but we need to make sure that all our soldiers have that, that the bare bones and the core competencies to operate in a chemical environment. Well, to get our first before we can get our unit ready, we've got to make sure our individuals are ready, and that's an example of the things that we need to make sure that our NCOs are reinforcing at the individual level, so that we don't have a problem that we haven't thought about when we first, you know, start doing it at a collective level under NBC conditions. So, how does something like that manifest itself in in that initial entry environment or in the in a West Point environment? Uh, again, just because of the the nature of those places, it's it's different than being in a real unit, right? Than being out on the line. So, what what's the difference in how that training progression manifests itself in in a place like West Point or at basic training? Well, the key thing for West Point is that everything we do at West Point is leader development, and we use we here in DMI, for example, we use uh, we use the military science education program, and we use our military training program in the summer to build leaders. So everything we do is a leadership lab with using small unit dismounted uh, patrol missions or missions in the field as the tool to train young leaders. So that's really the model at West Point. While we're doing the basic soldier skills, what we're really doing is training leaders. So we rotate leaders through all those leadership positions in the field. And so uh, back to your, you know, really the point of your question is, you know, the things we have to train, we have to make sure that the cadets understand their soldier skills enough that they can contribute to that collective training so that we don't miss these leader opportunities. And fortunately for us with a 47 month program, we get to have enough repetition so that our cadets through both, you know, started building at cadet basic training and then built, you know, built onto at cadet field training all the way through our more uh, capstone events like CLDT or when they go out to the army at CTLT that now because they've got the confidence in their skills, now they're ready to take their turn in leadership roles because they at least know how to shoot, move, and communicate. They can do land nav. They can. They understand marksmanship and they understand the basics of combined arms doctrine, so that they can they can take their turn in the leadership lessons that we're trying to teach them or the leadership exercises that mm-hmm. we're doing here. So, in an initial entry training model, that that template is basically just taken to the individual skill level, right? That's. Correct. That's what you're trying Correct. To do. You're yep. getting as much repetition yep. at those individual skills as, as exactly. Possible. At, at Infantry O said where my last time was, there aren't many opportunities for brand new 
uh, infantry soldiers and I had infantry OSIT to rotate through leadership positions. In a few places when we're doing squad level exercises, they may take their turn as a team leader or they may take a small turn as something, you know, marching their classmates to training or those kinds of things. But there aren't many opportunities that we will try to have initial entry soldiers mm -hmm. in a leadership role. We're trying really just to build their core competencies, their ability to shoot, move, and communicate so that when they get to their unit, they're ready to contribute in a collective training environment. So I'd be, I'd be remiss as a psychology guy to not ask a question about, again, because you've worked in jobs recently that are, are very much about bringing officers and soldiers into the army, uh, if I didn't ask about sort of the socialization and acculturation piece, because most of the, the cadets that come through West Point or ROTC or, or basic training uh, for the enlisted side have no military experience, have no frame of reference uh, for what the Army is and what it's about, really other than talking to parents or friends or, or whatever it may be. Um, how do you view the socialization process, the, the, in, the bringing people into the Army process, uh, that it happens at initial entry training or OSIT and West Point, and what is the impact of, of that on the Army at large? I think one of the, and you hit, it, hit the nail on the head, is that, that the soldiers that come to our Army today, both enlisted and officers, come from uh, a society that's different than how we operate. And uh, they may not come with the same values, the same backgrounds, or recognize really the, I guess, the, the basic value of the team. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the number one thing that we do well in the Army is both for young initial entry soldiers and for cadets here at the military academy is that immediately we hit them with how important it is to be the, a member a good member of the team mm -hmm. and why that this is such a, a team-based organization and why in our army that that you can't operate really as an individual and that we don't necessarily recognize or value individual achievers especially early on right. We, we, we do recognize and reward individual achievement throughout someone's career, but early on in our initial training for both here, where we see for officers and in the Army for Young Enlisted, is that we reinforce that you don't do anything without without the team. In fact, from for day one where you get a battle buddy, for example, and now you, you know, young enlisted soldiers can't even go to the latrine without their battle buddy. I mean, we reinforce that this is a team effort and that it's gonna take a team. And then, the other way we do that is by making our training so demanding, both physically and mentally, that you, you, you have to rely on your teammates to help get you through. That there's, there's nothing that you can do on your own as an individual to help you be successful. You're going to have to rely on the team, and they're going to have to be able to rely on you. So that's the piece that we, I think, we socialize the best is that I don't think there are any soldiers that leave either initial entry training, no matter what your, your MOS is, or somebody who goes through the military academy on their own or thinking that they can succeed in this business, in our military, and especially in the Army, without being a good, first, a good member of the team and being a follower, mm -hmm. and then understanding how to then lead a team. Sometimes it's leading a team of your peers, which is difficult, but being ready to lead an organization and a team and that's we do that through our NCOs as we build them to sergeants and they're going to be team leaders and then squad leaders and we do that here at the military academy where by the you know your, your second year you're at least leading one 
subordinate who's your teammate and your team member and your subordinate and all those pieces and then by your third year here you're a cadet sergeant and you're leading small teams you're leading whether it's a squad or you're a platoon sergeant or something you're you're in a leadership role and you're you have to you're getting reinforced every day how important the team whether you're the leader or just a member of the team how important that is so at the beginning of the conversation we talked a lot about how because there is so much that's asked of the Army at this point. There is so much that, that young leaders and soldiers are gonna be asked to do once they're out in the force, uh, and not enough time to really hit everything as soldiers and, and leaders are coming into the Army. Um, I'm curious what some of the, the gaps are that we're not getting as soldiers come in. Again, we need to have them at the level where they understand their core competencies and are able to execute those core competencies. What are some of the things that we don't do as good a job at as we probably should, and what can the individual do to to kind of fill those gaps in through some sort of self preparation? I think that's I think you're hitting it right on it. I think one of the things that we don't do well enough is reinforce that this is the kind of profession that demands self study. I know when I was a brand new commissioned officer, I I took it for granted that I was good at what I could do. I I was I was I was pretty good. Just ask me. I would you know, so I was overconfident in my own abilities. And that's not necessarily a bad thing when you start out, but you've gotta you've gotta also realize where your shortfalls are. And it took me too long to recognize that I needed to crack the book. Right. And it's the same thing now. We have a generation the the next generation that they're so good with technology, we just need to make sure that the tools are out there within technology so that they can continue to do self study. If it's if it was a young soldier, I'd say we want them involved in still more simulations and gaming kinds of things where they're honing their skill and they maybe don't even realize that's what they're doing right. in their off time. Whether it's it could be something as, you know, a, a collective training environment like like a, a Bradley, you know, conduct of fire training, you know, the UCOFT, where mm -hmm. you're you're actually working with your teammates and your crew, and you're honing your skills that way through simulation. But I think, especially for junior officers, we want to reinforce the necessity to so you know, so to speak, crack the book. That it's going to continue to take self-study in big things like you know, military history and understanding the culture of where you're going to deploy to, and those kinds of things, from just reinforcing and going back over battle drills and things that your platoon is going to need to need to conduct on the battlefield. That's the kind of thing we want to, we need to arm our officers really with that, I guess, hunger, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, that makes them want to continue to study. And so I think if I were doing some of the jobs I've done uh, over, you know, if I was a battalion commander again, is I might institute not only, you know, and I probably, I did the, you know, a reading program and right. those kind of things, but I think I would have a testing program or a certification program more mm -hmm. where you're going to take some more tests on doctrine and those kind of things that, that would then demonstrate that some of it's on your own time as well. Right. But there's an expectation in this profession that self-study is required. We do it at different times when we send you to institu the institutional army, for example. But I think what, we've, what we do is we reinforce that the study time is when we pull you off the line, so to speak, and we send you to the institutional army, whether it's your next level of officer schooling or, or uh, NCO professional development schools. But I think we need to reinforce that, that while you're serving in the operational army, there's not only an expectation, but really there's you know, a requirement for you to continue to do self-study somewhere. And I don't think we quite do that as well as we should. I know in my career growing up in the Army, I sure didn't do it near as much as I should have been. Yeah, and I think that's true of, of a lot of officers who, even in, even in my generation who I would talk to that 
yeah, that, that realization comes later than it probably should that there are things you don't know and you kind of, you kind of got to nail, nail down some stuff that you don't know and, and improve yourself and expand your horizons a little bit. The infantry had a couple key forcing functions for me in that what we called in the time that I got commissioned, the light heavy imperative. Mm-hmm. And that just, it worked out well for me in that I got to be an, an, a light infantry airborne platoon leader originally. But then when I was headed to command a, a, a company after the cap, the captain's career course or the advanced course it was called then, I was headed to a Bradley formation. Right. So I absolutely, not only the Army send me to the Bradley leaders course, but then I had to immerse myself in the Bradley fighting vehicle gunnery manual so that I knew enough to lead that formation. And I, it was a perfect forcing function because I didn't know enough and I really needed to pour over the book and I needed to sit down with my company master gunner and make sure that he explained things to me so that, so that I was ready to lead that type of formation when my turn, turn came. And then the Army did that to me a few more times in that I then later got to command a striker formation, which then again required more self-study. So it was a good forcing function. I just, I'm not sure we do that in every career field so that I think uh, we, we sometimes build in some complacency uh, with through, you know, without even really realizing it. So I want to round out trying to bring the, the two kind of components that we talked about through the course of this together. And it's the idea of, of core competencies combined with the idea of it's sort of ever expanding mission set where the army is constantly being asked to do new things in new places. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how you see based on the contemporary operating environment today those two jiving together what being excellent at our core competencies having a mastery of our core competencies allows us to uh, engage with all the different types of threats and environments that we're going to be operating in in the near term i think i think they do go hand in hand i think it's just it's really, again, really I think the, the key to that is to know your people. So that if, for example, if you're you know, a company commander, you've got to really know your, your subordinates, your lieutenants and probably your most senior sergeants, probably down to you know, the, the staff sergeant level, for example, so that you kind of know where the strengths and weaknesses lie. One, if you've seen them execute training, you know where their strengths and weaknesses are within those core competencies. But then if you change the conditions of training enough through, again, through repetition like we talked, you should be able to recognize who has the flexibility to deal with things or who has the skill set required of something else you might have to do, whether it's train indigenous forces or uh, negotiate with, you know, some other actor on the battlefield or serve alongside somebody or bring in other people into your formation, whether it's, you know, a combat multiplier like a civil affairs or something, you know, that might come along. You gotta recognize who and and it's not enough to just kind of catalog who can do that and who can't. Mm-hmm. It's then who who am I gonna have to retrain or educate so that everybody is able to do that if something like that comes along in your mission set. So really the root of it I think is understand your formation. And that's always hard for us. It's hard at the individual level to see yourself, and it's hard at the, the collective level to see your own formation. We think we do that through you know, our, our training readiness system to see where we stand, mm-hmm. but it's hard to do. It's hard to look hard at your own formation and say, wow, here are the things that we're not as good as, as I'd like to be. And you may not be able to, to address it right away, but as long as you have first at least identified it, then that's part of that's at least you've got that step taken care of so that when you get the opportunity, you can hopefully 
uh, fill in the gap or fix the problem before you have a new mission set. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I think this was, was enlightening and uh, um, look forward to hearing some feedback from, from folks out there about your experience. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the MWI podcast. Hopefully you've subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If so, we'd love it if you'd give us a rating or leave a review. This will help make sure more people interested in all things modern war get a chance to hear about us. Thanks again.